Well, every one of us is carrying around a picture this morning, a picture of ourselves. And I'm not talking about your latest selfie that you got on your phone here, all right? I'm not talking about the mug shot that passes for your driver's license. I'm talking about the fact that every one of us carries around with us kind of a mental understanding, a mental picture of, of who we are, our, our identity. And as we talked about last week, that it is so central to every part of our life. We talked about there are two key understandings that each and every one of us has. Uh, one is an understanding of God. The second is an understanding of ourselves. And we bring those understandings into every part of our lives. We bring it into our relationship with God, our relationship with others. We bring it into the challenges we're willing to tackle, the, the, the way that we solve and overcome obstacles and problems, and on and on and on and on the list goes. Every part of our life is impacted by our understanding of God and our understanding of ourselves. And so we thought it appropriate as we begin a brand new year just to go back to God's Word and say, what does God say is true about us? Because the theme of this series is very simple. The truest thing about us is what God says about us. The truest thing about me, the truest thing about you is what God says about you. And if it is so vitally important for me to have a proper understanding of myself, then I need to go back and say, what has God said is true? What has God said is true about me? Last week and this week, we're kind of laying a foundation upon which everything else will be built. And the first a huge foundation piece was to recognize from the very first chapter of the Bible that we were intentionally created by God, that we were intentionally created by God. And because we were intentionally created by God, uh, we, we have a purpose. We, we are not just kind of a random blob of cells existing for a while. We have a purpose. We are dependent upon him for everything. And we are accountable to him for everything. And we, we challenged one another out of that to live with humility, with dependence, and with a radical determination to live, to fulfill God's purpose for our life, to live in a way that pleases and honors him in all things. The first part of the foundation is that we are intentionally created by God. The second part of the foundation is, is what I want to talk about the, this morning. And in order to do that, I, I want to take some of us who are post-school days back to your school days. For some of you, maybe you're still in school. But I don't know how I was at your school, but there were like different groups or crowds of people, right? It, it was that, everybody comes, oh yeah, we had that. There were, you know, there's always a few that are kind of similar. There's the jocks. And there's the, the nerds or the geeks, right? There are folks that are, that they're kind of, they're in the band or they're in, in the, this club or whatever. I grew up in, in kind of a small community. So we had like future farmers of America and, and other things, you know. And so there's all, all these different groups. In fact, as we, we had at our school back in the day, like when the dinosaurs were still walking the earth, when I was going to school, we actually had a group that would smoke outside uh, during during the breaks of classes. So we kind of had, 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 had a group that would meet outside uh, to, to smoke there during, cla during class breaks and stuff. And so, so there, there were all these different groups, right? There are all these different groups. But regardless of what group you may or may not have identified with back in the day, regardless of what category that was in, almost every school 
And even today, organizations oftentimes have an in crowd, right? There's, there's an in crowd. These are the folks that this, I don't know how they get in the in crowd exactly, but they're either the, the, the most powerful or popular or the, the coolest or, or the, the most with it or, or fashion forward. I don't know what the criteria is, but, but they are the in crowd. Folks want to be in that in crowd. Well, I've got really good news for you this morning. Regardless of what group or groups you were in in school, I want to let you know today that you are part of the in crowd. And you're saying, well, that's pretty nice, Jeff, but I mean, who in the world appointed you king of cool, right? I mean, mean, what makes you think that you can say who is part of the in crowd? Well, it's really not what I'm saying. It's what the Bible is saying. The Bible says every one of us is a part of the in crowd. The only question is, in who? In who? That every one of us is part of an in crowd. That the question is, who are we in? And I'm going to get a little theological with you today, and, and, and I, just, I, hope, I hope it doesn't get lost in the, in the jargon there, but I, I, I just, I, this is so foundational. And the fact is, everything that we're going to talk about in the rest of this series rests upon a proper understanding of being in, in the right person. Let's just go to the Scripture. One's on your note-taking guide. The Corinthians puts it this way, "'For as in Adam all die.'" So also in Christ shall all be made alive. There there are two in crowds identified just in that one statement. There are those that are in Adam and those that are in Christ. Two foundational identities in fact, let's just go to Romans chapter 5. You have a copy of God's Word with you. I'm going to read beginning in verse 12. And, and, and don't get too lost in the language here. But hear, hear the distinction. Look for in Adam and in Christ, even as we walk through these verses. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 
For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now, I understand if you're, if you're just reading that, you just heard that, you, you, at this point you may be going, huh? Uh, can I, what is that? What in the world is all that? Uh, let me try to crystallize it, putting it against 1 Corinthians 15 there. What, what we're talking about, what Paul is talking about in Romans 5 is that all of us are represented. All of us are represented before God by one of these two men, Adam or Christ. We have a, what theologians sometimes call a representative union. We have a representative union with one or the other. We either have this representative union with Adam as, as the, the first human being upon which all the rest of us have come, or we have a supernatural representative union through and in Jesus Christ. So that if you can think about it uh, kind of in, in a picture format, all of humanity is in one of two groups. Theologically speaking, biblically speaking, we are either in Adam or we are in Christ. Those are the only two options. Those are the only two crowds, if you will. We are in Adam or we are in Christ. In Christ was a phrase that Paul loved. It was, it was his understanding of his identity out of what Jesus Christ had done for him. The fact is, if you go through the letters of Paul that we have in the New Testament, you'll find a little over 160 times he uses the expression, in Christ, in him, or in the Lord. There was something so foundational to his understanding of who he was of being in Christ. And so he wrote about it to the Corinthians. He wrote about it to the Romans. And he wrote about it. And it is so foundational for you and for me to understand what it means to be either in Adam or to be in Christ. And so what I want us to do this morning is just unpack this a little bit. And I hope to uh, maybe clear up uh, uh, to some degree if, if it feels a little murky here to you. So stick with me if you will. Let's first talk about our union with Adam because that's, the, that's the, the, the representative union, that, that union we have by, by virtue of our, of our physical birth, our union with Adam. And, and this union is, is talked about in Romans 5. Just Let me go back and highlight just a couple verses there. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sin. There is something in that Adam did when Adam rebelled there in the garden of Eden that, 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 that came and this not only sin entered in but death through sin so that it spread to all of humanity. Skip down to verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so that because we were all in Adam, we were all represented in Adam, this first man, this first human being, that we all his all this condemnation as a result of his disobedience, we inherited, if you will. Verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made 
made sinners. So that in Adam, we, we have inherited, if you will, this, this guilt. We have inherited this sin. So that when David in Psalm 51 is, is confessing before the Father, he recognizes this reality about him. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Said another way, that the nature that we have received from our union in Adam is a sinful nature. That we have received a sinful nature by virtue of our uh, lineage, in virtue of our connection, our representation in Adam. That we have this sinful nature. Sometimes you hear folks talk about original sin. Original sin is not so much uh, about what Adam and Eve did. It is about the, the result or the effect of that. And that effect is that, that sin corrupted everything. That the entire human race is corrupted through Adam. That that corruption has been passed down to us. It, you might think about it in, in our language today that, that this, our, our operating system was infected with this, this virus, this malware, whatever label you'd want to put on it. And, and it, is, it, is, it is being replicated every time. And so every one of us has this corrupting influence. In fact, is when you look at Genesis 3, when you look at Romans 8, what you find repeat, emphasized there in Scripture is not only are human beings corrupted, But all of creation has been affected. Why? Because Adam was given dominion over all creation. And because of his dominion over all creation, all creation was impacted by his sin. So this corrupting influence of his sin not only gets passed down to every human generation, but it impacts all of God's creation. As beautiful as this creation is, it is not as pristine, it is not as perfect as when God created it because it has been corrupted by sin. There is no part, there is no part of our lives that is not impacted by sin. Our minds, our will, our bodies, they're all affected by sin. That's true of every one of us in Adam. There is nothing, no part of us that hasn't been impacted. Now, let me, let me try to talk about this and in, in maybe as you think. Sometimes, sometimes we can get into a judgmental posture if we're not careful. And, and sometimes we can, we, we, we can even, even as the church look at, look at someone outside and say, how could they do that? How could they act in such and such a way? Don't they know better or da 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 whatever it is. And what we need to understand is that we sin because we have a sin nature. 
In fact, is to, to not sin is, is maybe to hold it at bay for a while through some level of behavior modification. And to say that we have a sin nature doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could possibly be, all right? I mean, we, we, get, we get socialized and we have other things that kind of teach us how to act in certain ways and modify our behavior. Saying that I have a sinful nature, saying that I have been corrupted by sin doesn't mean I am as bad in all of my choices and all of my actions as I could possibly be. It does mean that I am as bad off as I could possibly be because there is nothing that I can do to remove that corruption. There is nothing I can do to reverse its effects or to remove the condemnation that goes along with it. I sin because I have a sin nature. Now, let me, let me try to give an illustration, something I read uh, a few years ago that, that helped me with this. It was written by a guy who, interestingly enough, had kind of a, uh, a biological, zoological background, uh, and he wor- works with a lot of different animals, uh, particularly some, some, some wild animals. And, and he had, a, had a, a female friend of his that, that she, she somehow got hold of, or it found her or whatever, a, a little baby raccoon. <laughs> I mean, they are just as cute as they can be, aren't they? I mean, you know, the little mask and the little, all the little things they do. And, I mean, she fell in love with this raccoon. And she took it in and started, she made it a pet. And, you know, gave it a name and a home. And it was so cute and it was so friendly and it was so playful. And it would eat from her hand and all of these things. And, and, and this guy, he's, he was writing about it, and he said, he said I told my friend, he said, he said oh, you can't, keep, you can't keep that animal as a pet. That it is in the nature of raccoons that they, they will be docile for a while, they will be sweet and friendly, but somewhere something clicks, and they will, they will turn, and they will, they will viciously attack and she thought that was ridiculous, that he did not know her pet. He did not know her cute little raccoon. And he didn't think a whole lot about it for a few months. And then he gets a phone call from her from the emergency room. And she has been torn into, and she has cuts and flesh missing on her arms and on her face. Because one day, this raccoon turned on her and jumped on her and attacked her. Why? Because he told her it was the nature of that raccoon. It was the nature of that raccoon. Why do we sin? Because this sinful nature, this corruption, if you will, that we have inherited by our union with Adam. And there are consequences. There are things that go along with that. And we could spend a, a lot of time talking about that. But for the f- sake of time and simplicity, let's just look at Ephesians 2, the first uh, three verses. And you were, Paul, writing to Ephesians, this was, this was your identity. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature 
children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now, in those three short verses, Paul tells us this is true of your identity. This was true of my identity when we were in Adam. There are three things that are true. In Adam, I am spiritually dead. In Adam, I am spiritually dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That this corruption is, has done its work, that I am spiritually dead. Left to my own devices, I cannot and do not desire to respond appropriately to God. I am spiritually dead. Not only spiritually dead, but I am enslaved. I I am enslaved. It's not that I could wake up one day and say, I will never sin again. I cannot do it because I am enslaved. There are are all these things that work within me. There are these things that work in the world around me. The Bible talks about a very real enemy, a Satan and and demonic forces. He talks in Ephesians here about uh, the, the prince of the power of the air, that I am enslaved, that I, if, if my best New Year's resolution, I could never resolve that I will never, ever, 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 ever sin again. I am enslaved to sin if I am in Adam. Not only enslaved, not only spiritually dead, uh, but I am a child, or some of the translations will say an object of God's righteous wrath. That a God in his holiness has a fixed, a just, a righteous wrath against sin. And while I am in Adam, while I am in in Adam, I am an object of God's righteous, just, holy wrath. That's the bad news. But that's my identity if I am in Adam. But God intervened. God did for me and did for you what we could not do for ourselves. And he made it possible for us to have a new identity, a new life, not in Adam, but in Christ, so that we have this union. And and being in Christ is basically being united with or in a union with Christ. Christ made that possible by what he did. Paul again to the Corinthians, for our sake, for our sake, He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That if we are in him, something different happens. You see, as our representative, Christ did something for us we could not do for ourselves. He assumed responsibility for a couple of things. As our representative, he assumed the responsibility for our obedience. The the standard is 100% obedience. The, 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 The standard of righteousness is always responding appropriately to God, to God's love, to God's commands, to God's guidelines and precepts, always responding in obedience to God. That's how Jesus lived. That's how he walked the earth. He assumed the responsibility for our obedience. But then he also assumed the responsibility for our disobedience. Uh, The the responsibility is, the, the payday is, as we'll see in just a moment, is death. 
That, that, that spiritual death, physical death, eternal death, and an eternal separation from God as, a, as an object of his righteous wrath and judgment. He assumed that responsibility in the death that he died. So if we can just throw a couple of uh, maybe phrases that may help. He lived the life that we could not live and died the death we deserved to die. He assumed responsibility for obedience in the life that he lived. He assumed the responsibility for my disobedience in the death that he died. Said another way, he was treated as we deserve to be treated in order that we might be treated as he deserved to be treated. He deserved that because of the life that he lived, he he deserved that, that ongoing relationship with the Father. But he took upon him uh, himself our debt, our debt. He paid it through his death. So to the Corinthians again, for as in Adam all die. That's, that's what happens when I'm in Adam. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. In Adam I am dead. Physically, I'm going to die. Spiritually, I'm dead. Eternally, I'm going to die. I'm going to be separated from God. But in Christ, in Christ, there is a different trajectory. In Christ, there is a different identity. In Christ, I am made alive. To the Romans, he put it this way. For the wages of sin is death. That's just. That's fair. That's the payday. That's what we've earned. That's fair compensation. But the free gift of God is eternal life. And where is it found? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. So that we have one of two representatives. We're either in Adam, and the result of that is death. Or we are in Christ, and the result of that is life. So if we can track back to to Romans 5. In Romans 5, he's contrasting the two. In Adam, as Adam was our representative, these are the things that became true of our life. But once we are in Christ, there are some other things that are true in our life. Now, I want to just take you to verses 18 and 19 there again because sometimes as folks are reading this, uh, we we, kind of say, okay, now what what exactly is this saying here? When Paul is talking, when he uses words all and many, you have to kind of track with his argument here a little bit. He's talking about uh, the universal offer of salvation, not the universal existence of salvation. He's talking about that, that, that Christ makes this, this offer, this, this availability, if you will, to all, but it is, not, it is not true of everyone because everyone has not responded to it in faith. So when you come to verses 18 and 19, therefore as one trespass led to con- condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That's all who are in Jesus Christ. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. It is, it is those who are in Adam 
experience this. Those who are in Christ, all those who are in Christ experience this. That's why as you compare Scripture with Scripture, uh, you find it's not about a universal existence of salvation, but a universal offer of salvation. And there is salvation, the New Testament church proclaimed, in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus put it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Please hear the testimony of Scripture. This testimony of Scripture is there are not a hundred ways to God as long as you're just sincere. The testimony of Scripture is it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in what you believe. The testimony of Scripture is as long as you have some spiritual uh, sensitivities or some, some uh, spiritual thoughts or you're religious in some way, form, or fashion, that, that, that brings you to God. No, the only thing that brings you to God is being in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And we come to him made possible by his grace through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's not a result of of your works. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast goes back to talking about how dependent we are upon him. So again, if I can compare and contrast, by physical birth, we are in Adam. By, by, by just being physically born, we are in Adam. We have to be spiritually born. We have to have a spiritual birth to be in Christ. So when Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus, he talks about the necessity of being born again or being born from above. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Just being physically born puts you in Adam. It requires a born again. It requires a spiritual birth to be in Christ, to experience personally and eternally the kingdom of God. And that's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We are all either in Adam or in Christ. Everybody that you work with, everybody that you go to school with, everybody that lives in your neighborhood, everybody that lives in your house, everybody that you interact with uh, online or however it may be, everybody is in one of two crowds. They are either in Adam or they are in Christ. Those are the only two possibilities as Scripture explains it to us. We are either in Adam or we are in Christ. Now, I want to I take this just a step further when we talk about our union with Christ because our union with Christ is, is, is not only this representative union, but it's also a living union. 
And we're going to unpack that more in the weeks ahead. But it's, it's not just, it's not just a, a legal standing. It's not just, okay, I, I, am, I am no longer guilty before God, but I am now justified before God in Jesus Christ. It's not just this legal representation, this representative union, but it is a living union. It is something that we are to live in and draw from every single day of our lives. One of the best pictures of the living union Jesus gave us in John 15. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That he's pointing to the fact it's not just this legal representation but it is a living union. So that moment by moment, day by day, that we have this, this union. We are in Christ. We are connected to. Our life is in Jesus Christ. So that we just don't rely on our wisdom, our strength, our perspective. But we, we, we draw upon his power. We draw upon his wisdom. We live not in our own strength, but we live in his strength. And that has been given to us, that, that has been guaranteed to us through the sealing of the Holy Spirit. In him, there's that phrase again, in him, if you are in Jesus Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That you have this not only representative union, but you have this living union. You are now vitally connected to Jesus Christ. You are sealed. You are indwelt with God's Holy Spirit so that you live a life enabled, empowered by God's Holy Spirit. And how do I experience that life? How do I live out that living union day by day by day? The scripture tells us the same way that you entered into the union in the first place. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive him? By grace, through faith. How do you walk in him every single day? By grace, through faith. By his enabling grace, by his uh, illuminating grace, uh, by that, that transforming grace, by faith in God's work in me, not only in faith in God's work for me, but by faith in God's work in me, I am to live every single day. That is who I now am in Jesus Christ. And once I begin to understand this union, then all of these promises of Scripture become mine. It becomes part of who I am in Jesus Christ. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to highlight a couple to get us started this morning. But these are all connected to being in Jesus Christ. Let me just give you two promises from one chapter of the Bible, Romans chapter 8. How about this one? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, folks, I know it's early. I know some of you were cheering for the Cincinnati Bengals last night. I, I know, I know. But listen, listen. This is extraordinary news. What did I inherit from Adam, according to Romans 5? Condemnation. 
But if I am in Jesus Christ, there is now no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Regardless of my past, regardless of how many times I've blown it, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I was enslaved, but I have been set free. I was under judgment. I was an object of God's righteous, holy, just wrath, but I have been set free. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is my identity if I am in Christ Jesus. One more promise from that same chapter. No, in all of these things, he's talking about all all of these things. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, that ought to make a Baptist shout. I mean, listen, listen, man. If I am in Jesus Christ, this is what's true about my identity. No more condemnation. If I am in Jesus Christ, I can live as more than a conqueror. That doesn't mean in a sin-scarred world that there are not going to be challenges and problems and heartaches and struggles, but I can live as more than a conqueror in the midst of all of those because I am in Jesus Christ. And regardless of what comes into my life, regardless of what blows up, regardless of what happens in the stock market, regardless of what happens with somebody with a nuclear bomb, regardless, not even physical death itself can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's, that's my identity in Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the most pivotal question of all. Because those promises I just talked about, everything that I'm going to talk about over the next four weeks in this series, all hinge on truly being in Christ. And so I I, I can't share these truths with you today without asking you a very personal question that I'm going to ask you to answer honestly before God. And that is simply this, am I truly in Christ? You heard Stacy's testimony just a, a few minutes ago. I had this religious experience even as a teenager, but I came to realize I wasn't in Christ. I wasn't truly saved. Am I truly in Christ? Have I personally responded to God's offer of salvation? In Christ and Christ alone, not based on my religion, not based on good deeds. In Christ and Christ alone, have I responded to that grace through repentance and faith? Because everything that I'm going to talk about from this point forward hinges on being in Christ. By default, I am in Adam. It is only by grace through faith that I can become in Christ. And depending upon where I am 
my identity is radically, radically, and eternally different. And so this is what I'm going to do. I, I, I want to pray for you this morning. And then I'm going to ask you to pray. And I'm just going to ask you in these moments just to sit before the Lord and, and just say, God, show me the truth about my identity. Am I truly in Jesus Christ? Would you just bow your heads with me and just, let's, just, just keep, keep the movement to a minimum. I'm just going to ask you right now just to, to be very still before the Father. I'm going to ask you just to pray. Father, I'm just praying right now for every one of us in this room. Father, I am convinced that that you have something to say to us today. That in these moments right now, your spirit is speaking. It's convicting. It's calling. Lord, I, I just ask right now, Lord, that would you in grace and mercy show us the truth about our identity about who we are and whose we are. And Father, I, I pray, I pray, Father, that there would be some in this room this morning who walked into this room in Adam, but they'll walk out of this room in Jesus Christ. Father, let today be the day of their salvation. And as you just continue to sit before the Lord, I, I just, I just want to verbalize a prayer and the words I'm going to pray aren't magic. They're not the only words. But if, if you want to adopt some of these words as your prayer to the Father today, then just in your heart and your head, I'm going to ask you to do that. Just, just quietly where you're seated with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, you just need to say to me, Father, I, I, I understand my sin. I admit that I have rebelled against you that I have chosen my way instead of yours, that I have chosen that which too often dishonors and discredits you. And so, Father, I, just, I ask you now to do for me what I could not do for myself. I ask you on behalf of the, the work that was done in Jesus Christ for me, I ask you in his name to cleanse me, to forgive me of my sin to remove from me that condemnation. By faith, I invite you to come and take your rightful place in my life as the leader, as the Lord. I ask you to seal me with your Holy Spirit, to direct and empower my life from this point forward. Father, help me to live as someone who is now and forever in Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to ask you just to sit before the Father. Just pray that prayer or in your own words to Him. And I'm just going to ask with, with nobody looking around, I'm just going to ask because I want to pray for you. We don't do this very often, but I want to do this this morning. I'm just going to ask you right now, if you've, if you've just prayed to ask Jesus Christ, to forgive your sin, to be the leader, the Lord of your life from this point forward. Would you just, just very quietly, very quickly, just raise your hand. Just, just hold it up for just a second. I just want to take a quick peek at it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Yes.
Father, I just, I pray for these that have just raised their hand before you. I pray, Father, that you would, you would just cleanse. I pray, Father, for you to, to seal uh, their life in yours. I pray, Father, that you would just empower them to walk in a new identity, a new life in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you for the grace and the mercy that comes only through Jesus Christ. As you just continue to, to sit before the Lord, I, I'm going to just uh, invite you to continue to look over some of those questions. And, and particularly, I just want to ask every one of us in this room, if you, if you say today, I am in Jesus Christ, then you know somebody that is not. Somebody that needs to experience a supernatural birth, supernatural union with Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to ask you as you sit before the Lord, how are you going to be his ambassador? How are you going to represent him this, this year? How are you going to pray for them to come to Christ? How are you going to be a communicator of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their life? It is the calling on every one of us who are in Jesus Christ to show and tell the good news. How would God have you do that this year? So you just continue to respond to God. If, if you still have a Connect card with you, there's some way we can pray for you. Or...